Well, over one year ago, I sat in my office in McKinney, Texas, and talked to Drew, who is our lead pastor here at Northeast, talked to Brad, who is our executive, um, and we dreamed. We talked about what could be, what could happen. They shared with me their heart to plant churches, to be a church that plants churches. They really shared for me your heart, to be a church that plants, that sins. Um, I was able to share with them my heart, my burden that God had placed on me to plant, to specifically in north central San Antonio. And I look back on that and just as the string of conversations began, I see God's hand over just all of it, all of it, just knitting those details together. Um, i put it this way, have you ever felt like you just stepped into something and then you look around and you realize this is way bigger than me? I honestly feel like that's what we did, that we stepped in and all of a sudden we look around, say, God, you've been doing this, you've been bringing things together, you've been pulling things together, and wow, this is bigger than us. And so I'm excited to be here and to be a part of it. I want to invite you to be a part of it and forgive me today if I'm a little giddy. This is a big day, big day. Uh, we have our first ever church planting meeting here at Northeast today, and I want to invite you to it. Um, I want to invite you to it. I know there's a lot of questions that come to your mind about church planting. What is it going to look like? Where are we going to be? All the details. And my hope is that in our time today that I'm able to help, we're able to walk through that and get some answers. Um, more than that, though, I want to share the vision, where we're going, what it's going to look like, all of those things. I've said this before. I think it's important to say it again, though. By you coming to the meeting today does not sign your family up to joining us, okay? We're not going to have a weird booth where you have to give us your information and it commits two generations. None of that, okay? Um, this is for all of us. If you are curious just what this could look like, what, what is Northeast doing? What is, what is Stone Oak Bible going to look like? Uh, I want to invite you to be a part of this. If you want to join our prayer team, I want to invite you to be a part of this. If you want to join our support team, give financially to what's happening as we go out, I want to invite you to this. Maybe God is leading you that you might want to come. I want to invite you to be a part of this today. Maybe you just live in the Stone Oak community, in or around it. Um, and maybe God's not prompting you to go, but here's the deal. Your friends and your neighbors are who we are trying to reach with the gospel. I want to invite you to come to this so you know what's going on in your community. It's going to be a great time. Also, one thing I'm really excited about doing is sharing some of the God stories that have already happened. Um, I have a handful of them that have been just burning through me. I cannot wait to share them. So um, really looking forward to today. Come hungry. We have Italian, okay? And uh, children's ministry is provided. It's going to be at 1230 in the fellowship center right, right across our campus. So um, please take advantage of that. Well, as you walked in, you saw uh, new in you everywhere. Uh, this is a series that we launched at the beginning of this year. Um, and along with the series, we launched a new and you reading plan. Um, this is really a journey that we decided to step into together as a church. Um, the, what it does is it takes a normal week, five days we read about a chapter a day, two days we take off for rest, uh, reflection, and catch up if we miss some days. It's okay. 
um, Grace is here. Um, and so by the end of the year, as a church, we will have journeyed through the entire New Testament together. Um, if you've been a part of this, it has been an incredible journey so far. If you haven't, maybe you weren't here with us at the beginning of the year, um, or maybe you just didn't jump in, it's okay. It's okay. I want to invite you to join with us now. Um, as you leave, you're going to notice some signs that have new and you on them with these reading plans in them. Um, I want to encourage you, challenge you, as you leave today, stop by, grab one, and here's what you do. Jump in where we are now. Uh, it's the 16th, so 17th, make your first day. Um, jump in right where we are. We have a lot of ground still to cover. You're not too far behind. Um, join us in the journey we're on as a church. I get the privilege today of taking a step back and looking at one of the passages that we read together as a church last week, um, which I'm very excited about because I think it has something specific uh, for us today uh, to deal with. You ready? Well, let me pray for us and then let's jump in. God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for your word. I pray that you give us eyes that we can see and ears that we can hear, that when we encounter your word that we don't leave the same, but that we leave challenged, we leave, leave changed for your glory. We pray that this time is beneficial in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in Romans 15. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me there. Romans 15. While you're doing that, I'm going to lay some groundwork for us, okay? Your faith is personal, not private. It's personal, not private. Personal in that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that your sins were placed on his back when he was crucified, that he is your personal Lord and Savior. It's deeply personal. Um, but the Christian faith is never meant, ever, to be lived in isolation, to be lived alone. It's a public faith. It's a public faith that we're called to live in community, not only the biblical community of the faith, our brothers and sisters, but also we're called out into our communities, right? To share the gospel. It's a personal and public faith. But what's the problem? Let's be honest. What's the problem with that? People are the problem with that. People are ridiculously messy. And I'm not talking about spilling water or shirts untucked. I'm talking about relationships are messy. There's tension, there's strife. People are messy. Do me a favor, look around in this room. Both rooms, you and the Fellowship Center, you can do this as well. The results will be the same. 100% filled with messy people, right? I hope that didn't offend anyone. Um, <laughs> As you leave today, or, and you go into your workplace tomorrow, some of you, messy. As you go into your schools, messy. You go into your life groups, messy. As you go home to your family, messy, amen? Messy. Um, so the question is, how do we do this? How are we supposed to live in biblical community when people are messy, unless we get the big head you're included in that too. How do we do this? How do we live in biblical community with people that are messy, that frustrate us, that can hurt us? How do we do it? 
Well, the Bible fortunately gives us many texts that give us an insight to this, and we get the privilege of walking through one this morning. Romans 15. We're going to read um, portions of this and just kind of walk through it slowly together. Uh, Let's start in verse 1. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. We who are strong have an obligation. Notice it's not a suggestion or a recommendation, um, but it's a duty. It's a responsibility. It's an obligation. We have the responsibility, the obligation to this next phrase we're going to spend some time with because it'll really set the ground level where we're going, Um, to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, when we hear bear with, we can think of it in one of two ways. Um, The first way is to think of it in a put up with me or tolerate me way. I say this to my wife when I'm acting like a moron. I'm like, babe, just bear with me, okay? Bear with me. What I'm saying is, can you just have a little patience? I'm going to come around. Tolerate me. Put up with me a little bit. It's kind of a passive way of looking at this word. We use it like this all the time. Paul's not using it like this. Paul is not saying, brothers, we who are strong have an obligation to put up with or to tolerate the, the failings of the weak. What he's saying is he, he's using this term in a different way. I'll put it like this. How many have ever done construction on your home? This analogy is not going to go well at all. <laughs> Hopefully I had a better response in the fellowship center to that question. Um, not the craftiest bunch. That's okay. If you were um, and you had to remove a wall out of your home, what is the first question that you need to ask and answer before taking a sledgehammer and doing the most fun job of all, putting it through a wall? There we go. Is this a load-bearing wall? Why is that important? It's going to hold up your house. Um, It's kind of important because it bears the weight of the home. It carries the weight of the home. So to remove the wall is to compromise the structural integrity of your home. Paul's using this term like that. He's saying, you who are strong have an obligation to be load-bearing brothers and sisters for the failings of the weak. What he's saying, this isn't passive, this is active. This isn't put up with, it's get a shoulder in it and carry some weight. It's an active word. Uh, He uses the same term um, in Galatians, I believe, 6 verse 2, where he says, carry one another's burdens. Same concept. It's not just let them struggle and have patience with them while they struggle, it's Get down in there. Bear with them. Carry. Um, So Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to be load-bearing brothers and sisters with the failings of the weak. Now, what does that mean? Um, In this context, Paul is dealing with a group of people who had come to know Jesus, had been accepted in the community, but as moments and days passed, they were fighting a tendency to go back to who they once were. Old ways of thinking, old ways of doing things, um, old lifestyles, old habits. Specifically in this context, he's dealing with a group of people that are running back to an old way of thinking called Judaism. Um, Judaism is what Jesus had saved them out of, 
And now in this moment, he is realizing they're coming back to it. And so he calls this the failings of the week. Now, we don't have to think hard about ways that this can apply to us today. Um, When we think of people all around us, um, maybe even some of us who have come to know Jesus, have come into the church, but as days and moments go by, um, all of a sudden, we feel this weird desire in us to go back to old ways of thinking, old ways of doing things, um, old behaviors, old sins, um, old addictions. The things that used to be us before Jesus changed our lives, um, the old hymn says, prone to wonder. Um, Paul says, prone to wonder, that's what he's calling the failings of the weak. So Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation or responsibility to bear with, to be load-bearing brothers and sisters with the failings of the weak. The failings of the weak. So how do we do it practically? Um, it's an important question. Um, how do we do that? How does that play out? I believe it involves three things. Um, first, patience. Patience. Uh, You don't need to raise your hand, but I think a lot of our tendencies are to jump to judgment pretty quickly, to jump to frustration pretty quickly when we see brothers who are running back to who they once were. Why don't you get it? That kind of attitude. Um, And so this attitude starts, we have to start with patience. Um, Paul's tone is completely different than one of judgment. Um, We have to start with patience, and as we start with patience, All of a sudden, where there once was frustration, we can start viewing them with compassion, and that changes everything. Second, um, prayer. As we're broken in compassion for someone, we are going to be brought to our knees in prayer for them. And I'm not talking about the prayers like, God, they've been a moron for so long. Finally, not those kind of prayers, but the prayers, God, give them your grace, your mercy, They have no strength left. Give them strength. Give them your wisdom. You're going to be broken in your prayers for them. And thirdly, intentional action. As you are broken in compassion for someone, as you are brought to your knees in praying for them, you're going to be looking for open doors, open opportunities where you can step in, where you can make a difference, where you can have a conversation, where you can be an accountability partner for this person, even if it involves hard conversations, even if it involves long conversations, you're willing to do it because your heart breaks for them. That's how we become load-bearing brothers and sisters. I want to say one last thing before we go into our next verse. In this verse, it is important that we realize that the strength that is given to us is not for us to enjoy. It's not for private enjoyment, but it's to give away publicly. The strong aren't called to be strong and have fun being strong. They're called to look around, find those who are weak, and be their strength. It's important we grasp that. Strength is not given to us for our personal enjoyment, but for public edification. It's important for us to grab hold of that, but Paul's not done. Let's go into the next verse here. He really ups the ante just a little bit. Um, He says this, and not to please ourselves, 
Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. See, what Paul did here is he went to motive. Um, he says, not only are you to be a load-bearing brother, a load-bearing sister, but you need to do it with the right reason, for the right purpose, with the right motive. Um, he says, and not to please ourselves. I thought of three ways just to get our wheels turning this direction of ways that we can serve each other to please ourselves. Three ways. First, I'm sure we can add to this list. We're professionals sometimes. Recognition. We serve someone in order to be seen serving someone. Um, We jump to someone's help so that we are known by others as someone who has a heart for people that will jump and help. It's almost in a weird way of like building up a community resume where we want to be viewed a certain way. And so in this sense, we're not helping them um, for their own good to build them up, as Paul says. We're doing it to please ourselves. We're doing it to build our own resume. We're doing it for recognition. And Paul says, don't do that. How about this one? Um, I call it the savior complex. The savior complex is when we serve someone because we have this weird thing in us that we find identity in being everyone's fixer-upper. We want to be the one that runs in and saves and fixes and fixes and fixes. We find our identity in this. Um, We want to be the one in the proverbial um, blue and red spandex holding the damsel in distress, okay? That's who we want. We see each ourselves like that, and it's almost like a pat on our back when we do this. Instead of introducing people to the Savior, we're quite content with being their functional Savior. It's, it's a Savior complex, and when we serve people like this, it's not really for their, own, for their good to build them up. Once again, it's self-serving. It's to please ourselves. How about this one? This one's obvious. Don't raise your hands if this is you. To get them to go away. <laughs> I, I can see. We struck a nerve here. Um, we serve people to get them. To, you know they're not going to stop calling. You know they're not going to stop calling. So we pick up the phone, say, Candace, excuse me just for a second. I need to deal with this. It's not going to go away. I need to deal with it. Um, In serving them, what we're doing is we're not looking out for their good, for their benefit. Instead, we're trying to clear our schedule. Um, We don't want another dinner disturbed. Um, And this, again, is to please ourselves. So Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to be load-bearing brothers and sisters, um, not to please ourselves, not to scratch ourselves on the back, not to beef up our resume, not to get them to go away, but to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Our interest is on their gain, not ours. Um, Through college and seminary, I was a little bit of a history geek, um, especially seminary. Church history, early church fathers, reformation, I geek out way too much, like way more than a normal human being should. And I enjoyed studying it. And one thing I noticed pretty quick right off the bat, as you're studying church history, it doesn't take long to realize that the pages are full of stories of Christians fighting Christians, of Christians 
kicking other Christians while we're down, of Christians shooting our wounded, um, so to speak. Um, Our pages are full, and what I've kind of seen is that some of this continues for some of us today, and you might be in this room, and you might have seen some of the ugliness. Maybe you've come from a situation where you've been hurt by other believers. You've been hurt by a church. You've been hurt by situations, and so you come in here because one, you, you love Jesus. You love Jesus. You want to be here for the preaching. You want to be here for the worship. But you walk through those doors with massive walls. Massive walls up. Uh, we say this a lot around here, that community is to know and to be known. Well, we're kind of cool with the knowing, but our walls keep us from really being known because we've been hurt. And so what we're saying is, Jesus, I love you, but your people are frustrating. Jesus, I love you, but not really the church. Um, I have a really bad analogy, but I think it does the trick, okay? So follow with me here. Um, I want you to picture after this service, one of you comes up to me. Say, Justin, we just love having you here. Just love you being here. Such a great fit. Thank you, thank you. Great message, thank you, thank you, whatever. Um, But you know what? You know your wife, Candace? She's terrible. Um, She's she's just, we're going to spend some time getting to know you. Maybe we can go out for lunch, but we really just want to connect with you. But not really her. She kind of, we've seen what she does on Facebook, and it's, we just don't want any of that. Now, we laugh because hopefully none of us would do that to anyone, I hope. Um, and if you did, we'd have some issues. I don't know if we'd be cool like, to go to lunch and plan our next family vacation together or anything like that. Um, but it's kind of what we do to Jesus. When we say, Jesus, I love you. I want to hear your word. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to worship But you know the people you died for, people you gave yourself for, you know your bride, Um, not so much. I have walls for that. I have walls for that. Paul is saying in these first two verses, imagine a church that would let down its walls, where the strong would be strength for the weak, and where the weak would let in the strong. And instead of abuse, it would be biblical community. Biblical community. Um, what um, verse 1 tells us is what we're to do. We're to be load-bearing brothers and load-bearing sisters for the weak among us. Um, verse 2 says you need to have the, mo- the right motive behind it. For their good, not yours. Verse 3 is very important. Uh, verse 3 is huge. Um, I want us to go here. Chapter 15, verse 3 says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul anchors everything in the gospel. Everything. He anchors everything in the cross of Christ. And so the question we have to ask is, how does... Jesus' work on the cross have any bearing at all on how we are to treat 
one another. How does it change? How does the gospel impact or have any weight at all when it comes to the way we live? I need you to follow me here because this is big. Jesus Christ stepped into human history. He lived a perfect life, a life that we could never live. He was arrested, he was tried, he was beaten, he was spit on, he was mocked. He carried his own cross up the hill. He was put on that cross. And in the moments of his death, he took on all of my sin, all of my weakness, all of your sin, all of your weakness. He took it on himself, and as he breathed breathed his last, he took the punishment for it. Three days later, he rose, giving us victory through him. And so now we wrestle with the question, how long do I put up with these people? They're frustrating. They're not getting it. Um, How long do I bear with my brother who's not getting it? How far do I go? The answer is this. How far did Jesus go to reach you in your weakness? How far did he go? Romans 5.8 said, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Christ went as far as it took. As far as it took to reach you at the point of your deepest and darkest need. Here's my fear, that we have become gospel-believing grace hoarders. Gospel-believing grace hoarders. I say gospel-believing because we believe it. We believe Christ has done it, that it's all about grace, that God poured out his grace on us, that we didn't deserve any of it. We believe it. We believe it wholeheartedly. The problem is, we don't give it. Instead, we hoard it. We're content and we love receiving grace from God and from others, but we are so slow to be gracious. We're so slow to be gracious. The gospel doesn't change the way we treat others because we're hoarding it. Have you seen the show Hoarders? on TLC, it is weird, weird. How much more weird is it for us who have been given so much for us to have even an inkling of not wanting to be gracious with our brothers and sisters? That should blow our mind because we shouldn't have that category in our mind. We've become gospel-believing Grace hoarders. Now here's the point, is that grace has been given to you personally so it can be displayed publicly, not hoarded privately. Grace has been given to you personally to be displayed publicly, not hoarded privately. Paul says, why, how far do we go with our brothers? Why do we need to bear with them? Why do we need to do it with the right motives? Because we're following Jesus, and look what he did for me. Look what he did for you. It should change everything. It should change the way we approach biblical community. Um, I'll finish with this this morning. Um, 
Some of us, if we're honest, just need to be more gracious. We look at ourselves, we know. We need to be more gracious. This has hit us on the head. Um, We are quick to judge. We're quick to be annoyed. We're quick to be frustrated. And this is a call, this is a reminder to us this morning. Be quick to mercy. Be quick to grace. Be quick to compassion. And so for you in this room, what I want to challenge you to do is as you leave this place, I want you to think of someone around you in your life right now that you can reach out to, that you can be strength that they don't have. Uh, Some of you, it doesn't take long. You know exactly. And as you leave, you need to get on the phone. Um, You know exactly who you need to call to be strength, to be a load-bearing brother or sister. Um, my, My challenge is for you to identify those people, begin to pray that your heart breaks for them, and then look for ways that you can step in. Step in and be a load-bearing brother or sister. Um, Some of us, though, my challenge for you this morning is to stop bearing your weight alone. When I read the verse and I said, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, you didn't relate yourself to the strong. When I read that, you said, yeah, I'm the weak in this. And whether it be shame or pride or maybe you've been hurt, you have a lack of trust, you walk in and you have walls up, you put a pretty face on and no one knows. No one knows. No one knows what you're going through. Uh, You wear your weights alone. And so my challenge for you this morning is to stop bearing your weights and to bring down your walls. Men, who do you call? Who do you call when the same temptation is coming back again? When you are finding yourself living the way you once did, who do you call? Who is on your speed dial? Who are you going to coffee with? When your marriage, your family is struggling and you don't know what to do because your old self is creeping back in, you, who do you call? Who is your strength in your moment of weakness? Women, who do you call? When all of the things you are juggling start kind of falling down, when you are tempted to run back to who you once were, to old sins, to old ways of thinking, to old ways of doing things. Discouragement, depression. Who do you call? Who are you going and having coffee with? Who is on your speed dial? Some of us are here and you've been hurt. And first of all, I want to just commend you for not giving up, for being here. Thank you. Second, it's time to lower walls that have been so fortified for so long. My challenge is for you to lower the walls, that to realize that God has not called us to be the church by simply attending church, but he's called us to be the church by being in community with his people. And that takes lowering walls. And so for me, I I want to challenge you that as you leave, that you identify someone in your life that's trustworthy. Is it risky? Yes. Could you get hurt again? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. 
It's essential. And so as we leave here, my challenge for you to, is to do that and to realize some of us have been praying that we get over this past sin for so long and Jesus is saying, the people I sent you, the, the, the way I have provided for you to rise out of your weakness, you have walls up keeping them out. Because Jesus has this strange way of using people to accomplish his purposes. I pray that we, we grab on that, to that. And lastly, some of us are here and we are not Christ followers. And so this doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, my prayer is that you consider what Jesus has done for you. That when you were weak, that he was strong. That he died on the cross for you. That he loves you. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for your word. And in the midst of messy, messy communities, in the midst of messy people, we choose to see your design, that you have called us into biblical community. God, give us the wisdom to walk in that. Give us the patience to be load-bearing brothers and sisters. Give us the trust to let someone help. And more than that, let us know you more than ever. In Jesus' name, amen.